Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. 2023 has been an interesting year and a challenging one for certain metals. Across the board, costs have been rising, while a lack of competition for units has seen prices stagnate or fall across many of the commodities we look at. And in a number of these, we are now trading into the cost curve. This is, of course, absolutely natural in any commodity market which is adequately supplied. It's simple economics. The price prompt is to for the market to ration supply. Price does tend to solve everything. And such cuts to supply can either come from sharp amplitude drops in price, think the GFC period, or a long duration grind into the cost curve, think 2015-2016 for many of the industrial metals. The challenge though is how quickly we see this needed reaction to bring things back to balance. And some things that happens in short order, I always hold up the example of iron ore as a highly efficient market where price allocates resource almost immediately, while a more recent example, zinc market. We've seen numerous mining facilities taken offline as they become uneconomic. This has served to floor the market. Once supply starts to be cut, consumers naturally become more nervous. And Zinc adds the numerous examples over time of supply cuts reversing a downward price trend. In other markets at the present time, we've not seen necessary supply adjustment. Battery raw materials, prime example. Manganese ore, that's another suggest a fair amount the PGM industry is now loss making. One of the challenges is that the natural reaction from producers facing price pressures is to produce more and not less. Producing more spreads fixed costs over a larger number of tons or ounces. And producers will look at cost position and think, well, if I just reduce my costs to this level, maybe cutting sustaining capital, will someone else will be under pressure. Problem is that everyone is doing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time and hence prices need to cause sufficient pain for someone to make a decision. How do we look at this? Well, typically state-owned enterprises don't cut, given they serve a a wider purpose to their main stakeholder, even if they're losing money. Uh, Conversely, I'd say private sector operators historically, less fixed cost, key stakeholders who don't like losing money are typically the quickest to react. And in between, you get the listed companies where extended governance structures prevent quick decision-making in many cases, but in time, uh, adjustments will naturally be made. We're getting near the nadir for some of these underperforming commodities, but we do also need to see supply rationed before fundamentals can start to improve. I'd actually advocate some industry leadership from the larger producers, maybe strategically deciding that metal's worth more on the ground and sold into the market at the present time. Of course, this means there's still supply available and there might be a scramble to bring production back at the first sign of price improvement, but it would halt the steady and painful bleed we've seen over some commodities in recent months. Perhaps the prime example of a commodity where supply cuts are needed is nickel. After all, this market is running perhaps a 200,000 ton surplus in 2023 with much the same projected for 2024 and 2025, and that's despite reasonably strong demand expectations. As I previously noted, much of the surplus was invisible 
being class two non-LME deliverable material. Now, though, we've got nickel produced via SXEW appearing on the LME. Hence, that surplus is becoming more visible by the day. So the nickel price is now at or around $16,000 a tonne. It's finally trading into the cost curve. Well, actually, it's been the cost curve for a while for ferro-nickel and NPI operations. We've now just added high-purity Class 1 material to those losing money. Class 1 inventory is still low, and the surplus is in arm-bearing nickel. So the view would be that that's the part of the market that will need to take the bulk of the adjustment. Indonesia's restrictions on new MPI plants will help in the medium term, and I would actually say sequentially we're not seeing some of the growth from Indonesia that we might have expected in, in H2, but we still need more prescient adjustment, and it's pretty urgent now. Not seeing any major changes in, in future expectations for Indonesia or China, MPI supply, much of that's integrated into stainless steel mills. Then where would we look? New Caledonia. Well, the ferronickel operations there are losing money, but French government's drafting up another rescue package, so economics aren't being allowed to run their course. Is the nickel price too low to be sustainable? Perhaps, but it can go lower unless the supply side of the industry gets the message and takes the appropriate action. Enough negativity, let's move to something more positive. Let's talk about iron ore. A 62% FE spot price is now around $130 a tonne. That's a pretty healthy price for incumbent producers. First and foremost, I'll put my hands up and say I, like many others, was expecting a lower spot price for Q4 on the back of Chinese steel cuts. That was clearly wrong. Now, the official MBS figures in China do show the kind of reductions we might have expected over the past couple of months. But I would take this data with a pinch of salt. If you look at the October data, Iron output down 3% year-on-year and steel output down 2% year-on-year do not line up with coke output, same end use of course, up 6% year-on-year, or the CISA data, which was down a lot less, or, or consultant estimates, which are actually up. There looks to have been some strategic under-reporting by steel mills to hit official targets, and that's contributing also to an artificially low implied domestic iron ore output in China at the present time. I suppose the question now is, given the high base, whether we see the usual seasonal upside, because I always say that iron ore spot price gives you $20 a tonne between the end of November and the end of January on the upside. And I see no reason why that's not the case this year. Port stocks are low. Chinese steel demand expectations are improving. Fixed asset investment is going to remain well supported into 2024. Also, you look at the regional ferrous scrap prices, they're on the rise. And ferrous scrap's a great market. It's a deep and liquid spot market. And it gives you good ideas to underlying industrial activity. Across Asia now, that's starting to trend positive. Yes, absolutely, some steel mills are well stocked with iron ore. But there will also be ones that aren't. Particularly given the low profitability in recent months has likely strained both balance sheets and credit lines. And those mills will be in the market and will be bidding up spot pricing. Biggest risk that could perhaps dent for their iron ore gains would be, from a non-fundamental perspective, the NDRC has already been leaning on exchanges to curb speculation and increasing supervision, while uh, CMRG, the centralised iron ore buyer, has pretty openly suggested current prices aren't representative of the market. That may well be, but we typically only get this type of messaging when there is expectation 
in China of prices rising. Finally, this week, I had the pleasure to host a panel at Row Motion's London event, uh, which is focused on EVs and battery technology. And as I mentioned in the last Metal Matters, this is a sector not finding a lot of love from investors at the present time. But if you take a step back, we're still looking at phenomenal growth numbers, even in the US, which you certainly wouldn't think from reading generalist market commentary. And events like the Romotion one are a good reminder there's a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things in this sector. It's fast moving, it's got technological change, and from a raw material perspective we are seeing some capex put to work, which is a key reason why battery raw material prices are where they are. High growth naturally brings growing pains, and that's in my view what we're seeing in the EV and battery markets now. We recently took a look at our electric vehicle forecasts, and only made very minor tweaks. Slightly lower penetration rate than previously forecast across Europe and US over the coming years, offset by a stronger rest of the world, helped by ever more Chinese exports. I'd also highlight that we've taken energy storage capacity additions to 440 gigawatt hours by 2030, and that's up from less than 300 previously forecast. And given the grid issues we're seeing globally with increased renewable installations, 2024 is undeniably going to be another strong year. Three quick takeaways from my view from the event this week. Number one, it's hugely profitable to export electric vehicles from China. The average selling price for Chinese models domestically is often half of the level that can be realised in other markets. That's the reason why China is gaining market share. Number two, CATL presented and seemed more excited about the potential of its LMFP technology than anything else. And number three, well, sodium ion may be getting a lot of headlines, but much of the work on that was done when the lithium price was high. Now that we've seen the lithium price fall, plans for implementation have slowed. Indeed, there are no sodium ion storage projects due to come online in 2024 in Motion's database. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. I do hope you found it a pleasant way to spend 10 minutes of your time and please join me in a couple of weeks for the last Metal Matters of the year. Uh, we'll review what's gone on in 2023, look to 2024 and think about those important topics that are shaping global metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at Colin hamilton at bimo.com to access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure <laughs>